All right, soccer freaks. This is ATL on Fire, the podcast. We're going to be talking all things Atlanta United Football Club. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. All right, everybody, welcome back to another show of ATL on Fire, the podcast where we talk all things Atlanta United Football Club. And if you haven't subscribed, you can find us on your favorite podcast cat, uh, podcast catcher out there. Uh, we're on YouTube as well. Just search hashtag ATL on Fire there on the Google, and you will find plenty of places to listen to or watch our show on YouTube. And... Uh, we are trying a new uh, thing tonight where we're broadcasting this uh, through a, a link that we shared out on Twitter. So there may or may not be anybody that joins. If not, we're still going to talk about it all, Dave. And uh, Live feedback. Going to talk about it all. Yeah. So uh, send your comments into the stream if you uh, have anything that you want us to talk about or... Uh, if you want to just disagree with us. If you have something good to say about the podcast, send us a message. If you have something good to say about me, send us a message. If you have something bad to say about Mikey Dobbs, go ahead and send that as well. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, Mikey Dobbs. So do I have something nice to say about this wine? What are we drinking? We're drinking a Jay Lore. It's a Cabernet from Paso Robles. Um, very nice Californian, big. Yeah, that's uh, that's very nice cab. Mm-hmm. Thank you. How was uh, soccer practice? It's good. We uh, just barely avoided a you know torrential downpour. Got a little wet, but we're we're still alive. So nice. Well, um, let's see here. It sounds like we we do have somebody who may have joined uh, and is listening. That's possible. That uh, if you have any comments, uh, let us know. And I, I think you know we'd want to start the show. I think maybe of just talking a little bit about the red, white, and blue and, and all the international competition. I did not see the women's loss. Uh, what was that, in the semifinals? No, they uh, um, yeah they lost in the semifinals, right, and uh, they failed to make the finals. So they're still alive for the bronze, but, jeez. Um, Went to penalty shootouts, right? Or, or yeah. they lost on a penalty. What, no, what? they lost on a penalty kick that happened late in regulation. And... Talk about a shambolic call. Really? I mean, there was a ball driven um, long up the field uh, over the head of the, the last defender who was running back towards their own end line. Um, and um, she was just trying to clear it out. She was right on the corner of the 18-yard box. And right as she was about to clear it, the Canadian player just sort of came a little bit in front of her, and she went to hit the ball and swung and hit a little bit of the Canadian player. The Canadian player ended up outside the box. The contact was in the box, but she didn't even know that she was there. She had zero chance of scoring. The ball was like right along the end line. I mean, this is a this is a thing that 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 
that we haven't talked about in a while, right? Which is, by the letter of the law, did she foul her? Yes. Was it inside the penalty area? Yes. So technically, is that a penalty kick? Yes. But it's still a shambolic call because, you know, the penalty area is designed to make the game fair, right? That if somebody takes away a good opportunity, right? And, you know, everybody had already gone up the field. Nobody was complaining, really. The Canadian player, like, muttered, like, a little bit of protest. Everybody was up the field, and then suddenly they were like, VAR, yeah. hold up, and penalty kicks decides the whole tournament, right? So, in my opinion, you know, as I'm going to keep, you know, um, advocating for on the podcast, you know, there ought to be um, the penalty kick decision is too high stakes, right? You know, it's penalty kick or nothing, right? There ought to be a call that you can make inside the penalty area that's not a penalty kick. Like, why not give them a free kick right from there, right? Nobody would have complained and everybody would have been happy, right? So there's really no reason why you can't make the penalty area into within the area the referee has a discretion to call a penalty kick, but it doesn't have to be. Make it a lower stakes opportunity for the referee. Yeah. I, I uh, didn't have a chance to uh, to watch the game. Was it Canada that we played? Mm-hmm. Okay, because now it's Canada and Sweden in the final. Correct. Right? Okay. Yeah, and I have to say, uh, in the previous round against the Netherlands, you know, I have a bit of a rant about the coaching. Vlako is the coach of the U.S. national team. And so the Netherlands has a player for Arsenal um, who, you know, scored eight goals in the opening round, right? And so clearly she was the danger, Right. And so instead of having someone maybe man marker, what the coach had is that the coach had the outside, the two center backs were marking her, and then the outside back was constantly coming in to mark her. Right. So what happened was every time she got the ball, three American players would converge on her. When that happened, nobody really knew who was responsible for making the tackle. And one time, they all kind of just stood there, and she turned and shot and scored, right? She scored two goals in the game as the only person they were marking, triple-teaming it. How shambolic is that coaching? All they had to do was stick one player on her, period. Even if you played with only one defender marking her and one defender marking the center back, she would have disappeared, and the game would have been over. You know, they did get through on penalty kicks after a 2-2 game, but the one player who they were marking, they gave up two goals to. Well, we got our ATL and file rant out of the gates there from Dave. I mean, for, for the to US me the, women's team that has not, well, this is like the first game they've lost in quite some time, no? Well, they lost in the opening game of the tournament too, um, to Sweden. But um, the coaching, the tactics were so naive, in my opinion. Even going forward, right? The, the, basically, the strategy was we're going to put six of the finest players in the world on the field at once. And, you know, good luck. Everybody was playing 1v1. There was no movement. There was, you know, in the first game where they lost to Sweden, right, he started with six attackers, right? Nobody playing defensive midfield. And as soon as they lost the ball, they would just run right at our defense and they scored three goals. They beat us 3-0, right? Talk about naive. You, you have... You know, six, eight 
10 of the finest attacking players, all for the U.S. The only thing you have to get right is the balance and a little bit of marking in the back, a little bit of organization, and those players are going to score, give them a little freedom, tell them to have some movement. But instead, he tried to squeeze everybody onto the field. There were no tactics. There was no balance, and the, the, you know, the play was shambolic. Boy, I'll have to get back and watch, um, but I don't know. I thought I, the coaching was just terrible. I I enjoyed the men's game the other night. That is for sure. That was uh, refreshing to see just the grit, I think, overall from just so many of the players on the, on the men's team, um, you know, from – even like Hoppy, who didn't have maybe his best game, but I, you know, worked hard to in the, the final. You mean? Yeah, in the final yeah. against uh, Mexico in the mm-hmm. Gold Cup. Yep. Yeah, and what was that? That was uh, Sunday night, right? Sunday night, correct. And that went into double overtime, and ours truly, Miles, obviously wins the whole thing in the 117th uh, minute of the Star game. Star striker Miles Robinson. But yeah, I mean, he just uh, again, you know, was you know it. As always, he's great up in the air, and uh, what a what a great moment for him. Yeah, I mean, I have to say that um, you know we started the Gold Cup talking about the you know the roster, and we said that you know ugh, you know it was definitely our B squad, and would the MLS players live up to the kind of players that we had in Europe, the you know Polisics, the Gio Reynas, etc. Um, and, um, you know, we talked about one of the few players we thought might would be Miles Robinson, and boy, did he have a terrific goal cup. Yeah. Right? So, you know, for the full side, you know, John Brooks is clearly um, established as one of the center backs, but the pairing is wide open. Was it McKenzie who played alongside of him? I think that's right, in yeah. the, in the In the Nations Cup, um, and he was atrocious. Um, the pairing for Miles Robinson Sands was atrocious. Um, and so the obvious thing is you, you've established one good center back in the nation's cup. That's John Brooks and one good center back in the gold cup. That's Miles Robinson. That should be your center backs pairing right now. And that's, uh, that's pretty much what the, the article in the athletic the other day was saying in terms of like, who's a lock, you know, for the, you know, the, the team right now. Miles jumped up into that list, and obviously Matt Turner is a goalkeeper to give Zach Steffen a little run for his money. Yeah, I was not a big believer in him going into the tournament, but boy, did he play well in the tournament. And to be fair, I think he's had a really good MLS season so far. So, I mean, he's just a little bit of a late bloomer. You know, he just came out a little bit out of nowhere, but, you know, full credit, he was terrific in the tournament. Yeah. And, you know, overall, you know, I think, Miles may have been the most consistent player. There was what I liked about the game he had in the final is there was just some moments where he just took the space in front of him, which is what I was talking about on our last podcast. I'd like to see him do more of and actually change the game and turn it on his head. And he actually did that in the final, which I thought was pretty incredible. Oh, it was terrific. Taking the space a couple of times, you know, marauding through the field. I mean, he was just terrific. Um, But, you know, again, the thing that, I mean, obviously, we come back to Miles Robinson, one-on-one defender. There were a couple of moments where, um, you know, the tactics maybe was not so great. He was left absolutely isolated, you know, one-on-one in our own penalty area with a guy running at him, and he came up with the ball. So, you know, more credit to him. You know, Now, as a coach, 
that's got to really give you pause. You, you do not want players running at your center back with pace in the box when he has no help. I mean, that's, that's not a recipe for success. Yes. Um, but, you know, Miles Robinson to make it work. So, you know, more power to you. You know, another Atlanta United player that I thought had a great game on the left side there was George Bellow, particularly with some of the competition he was matched up with uh, on the Mexican side. And we're talking about some real players that, um, you know, he held his ground on, I thought. Yeah, who is it? Ticket, Ticketito? Is that the guy's name? I don't know. From Mexico Starts on the, the right side, he's so good, so fast, probably one of their best players. Um, and, you know, in fairness, Bello played terrifically. Now, I thought Bello in the first appearance, um, which I'm forgetting which game it was, but in his first appearance where he started, I thought he was just okay. But in the final, I thought he was brilliant. He played well. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, yeah, and I thought a couple other players. Was it Acosta, Acosta? Kellen Acosta. You know, actually, Kellen Acosta is a player who, you know, emerged from FC Dallas and, you know, was just a, right away at like 17 or 18 when he debuted for them, was just a superstar. And you thought, okay, he's going to Europe or whatever. And something happened. He had a run-in with the coach. He apparently wasn't so mature Whatever. He never went to Europe. He then lost his spot at Dallas and he was kind of in the wilderness after being, you know, basically almost a national team starter. He had worked himself into by like 19 or whatever or, or 20. And so he was in the wilderness for a while, but um, he seems to have come back. Right. He's now yeah. at Colorado, maybe. But, um, you know, I think that every time I've seen him, apparently he's grown up a little bit he's put that stuff behind him and every time i've seen him play um he was great and and him and miles robinson uh, were by far the two best players for the united states i mean wasn't even close love it um so what does this uh mean do you think it's significant that we've beaten mexico uh twice in a row this summer for finals and in cups the nation's league and the gold cup um, I, to me, the the more impressive of the two is, you know, our MLS version of our national team just went and beat a fairly stacked Mexico team in, mm -hmm. in, a, in a game that they wanted to win, in a game that mm -hmm. may still get Tata fired. Um, and, you know, that's there's a lot of talk about people wanting Tata to come back, but I think that that, uh, <laughs> that song is already played here. And uh, Oh, they would take him back in a heartbeat if he got fired from Mexico. But, you know, if you're you think a U.S. So. You think so. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, if you, I mean, the guy won the title in year two here. I mean, yeah. come on. But, um, you know, if you're a U.S. soccer fan, you got to be hoping for Mexico to implode and overreact and fire Tata because, um, yes, I think it's significant that the U.S. beat Mexico twice in competitive games against their good team. Um, you know, one of the things I thought going into these series of matches um, is that um, what I thought was that Mexico had sort of the golden generation was what well, was by far better than us. Um, I think the younger players in particular... Have, maybe we have a better younger group. Um, you know, certainly when you include the Weston McKinney's, um, the Sergio Des, um, the Polisics, the Gio Rainers playing for huge clubs in Europe. 
um, you know, um, I think that that one of the things it showed is that maybe our younger players are are really really good. Um, but anybody who watches those two matches and says that we are currently better than Mexico now, I don't think was watching the right match because I thought, to be honest, Mexico. They were good games. The second game in particular was incredibly entertaining. Um, but Mexico, I thought, overall was the better team in both of those yeah, games. Yeah, I, I agree. And Jason Russell also, by the way, agrees with us that uh, if they fire Tata, that we bring him back to Atlanta United. So, uh, Jason, hope you're doing well, my friend. Hello, Jason. It's been a long time. And, um, yeah, so, you know, uh, on to uh, things. Oh, uh, one more thing with the with the U.S. men's national team. Sure. What do you think this means for Greg Berhalter, mm-hmm. who um, certainly got a lot of shit over the last two years or since he was appointed the job? And you know, I don't. I never really knew a whole lot about Greg, and mm-hmm. I never really understood the an immediate hate for him, other than it sounded like yeah, of course he had family ties with the decision-making group and things like that. So I understood it from that perspective, but mm-hmm. um, in terms of him just being a terrible coach for the U S men's national team, I, I, I guess I never had that opinion, but um, I, you, you seem to be more in the know there. And, and has that changed your mind at all? The way that he brought particularly that young team together in the gold cup. I mean, you got to say that, you know, that team was playing for each other. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I've been a little bit harsh on Greg Berhalter. Um, You know, just because, look, we have a chance as the U.S. national team to get, you know, a superior coach. And you would say, all right, get us the best coach in MLS or get us, you know, the best, you know, one or an international quality coach. Obviously, you know, the, the strong rumor was that Tata wanted the U.S. over Mexico and they turned him down because he didn't speak English well enough a.k.a. he wasn't part of the U.S. national team. You know, I think it's shambolic that they all of the guys in charge of running U.S. soccer were from the national team, and they only consider their buddies who are on the national team. And, you know, Burhalter, you know, you have to say at Columbus, right? So he made the playoffs a couple of times. Obviously, he those people will remember in the first year, he beat the uh, Tata Martino at Mercedes-Benz yep. in the playoffs. Um, or should we really say Zach Steffen single-handedly beat us? (laughs) But, um, you know, the guy didn't even come close to winning an MLS title, right? Um, And so you had to say, not necessarily that he was a terrible coach, but just could we do better? Um, And I have to say, tactically, um, I still find that I'm not overwhelmed by him, but... And here's the thing that has changed for me, particularly over the last two um, matches. Um, Managing the squad, right? His choice to make a European squad, um, which I originally found a little bit odd for the Nations Cup, I think is brilliant because it means that those European players came right off the season. They played. They got done early. They got to go on vacation. So Pulisic and all those guys are not going to be worn out going right back into Europe. That, I think, in retrospect, makes a a ton of sense. Um, And then, you know, this idea that we're going to play a full MLS team, let's see who's good enough. I actually think squad management-wise, that was brilliant. And then even within the context of the Gold Cup, what he did over the the course of matches, keeping players fresh, giving other players a chance, 
um, was brilliant. And I thought that, um, you know, clearly the players like playing for him. So, you know, if you can keep players happy and manage the squad well and make pretty good selections, that's a huge part of the game. Now, obviously, I think at the highest level when it comes to doing well in the World Cup or even outmaneuvering Tata Martino in qualifying, I think that it's also going to take tactics. And that's where um, I'm not sure. Yeah. So moving back to Atlanta United, um, we have obviously been a little more transparent on what our motives are in terms of uh, looking for a coach. We know that we're looking for a coach. Yeah, we know that uh, Eels and, and Bocanegra went over to Italy and they brought back their friend. Paolo. We saw some pictures from a restaurant. That's what I've seen on Twitter, right? Yeah. Eels in an Italian restaurant. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah they, they tried to woo him with the Mercedes Benz and he said, no, thank you. Yeah, so Fonseca, for those out there who are not necessarily following all the churn of the, the coaching decision, so Fonseca was a Portuguese coach. Um, he coached uh, Shakhtar Donetsk in, in the, the Ukrainian Ukraine, League yeah. um, and had a terrific record there. Um, it's the biggest club in the Ukraine, so, you know, in some of these leagues, you know, they have, like the Ukraine, they have all the money, they buy all the best players, so, you know. Um, obviously then went to coach at Roma, uh, a big club, huge club, uh, did pretty well there, had a pretty good record, finished towards the top, um, in this last season, got them to the Europa semifinals where they absolutely got annihilated by Manchester United. And I felt like in those uh, two legs of those matches, I thought Roma was going to be competitive and they just got run off the field. I was surprised, but anyway, um, you know, major coach, major experience, you know, um, and they brought him in. I clearly, it would seem like he was the first choice. And then he said, no, thank you. Yeah. And it, it sounded like, you know, it, at the same time, you know, they're trying to package that with maybe some players from the Syria to, to bring on. Um, and from, from what I've heard, like those have maybe fallen through as well without him. Well, you never know, right? You know, like when they went after Tata Martino, right? He said, I'll come if you can get me this. And it's possible that he said no because they couldn't get him those. Yeah, that's true. Right? You never know whether they said no because he wasn't made the coach or he said no because they weren't signing on. You know, it's hard to know. Cause or effect. And so they've they've quickly moved on and they've flown to the West Coast now and uh, have asked... Uh, I don't even know if they've gotten permission, but they asked to interview the assistant coach. Uh, was it Gonzalo Pineda? Pineda at uh, the Seattle Sounders, who's mm-hmm. uh, a Mexican national, played in La Liga, and uh, I think you know, he started his career as a as a player in two thousand three ish, maybe, and then I think he's been with Seattle since two thousand fourteen. If my research yeah. and was did right. he finish playing in the MLS? I'm not sure. Enough. I think it's very recent. There's all these rumors, so I didn't have time to. I think that's correct. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's right. Um, Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think they're definitely going to give him permission to look because um, um, he was interviewed for the DC United job and ultimately not offered that. Right. So um, clearly they're going to allow him to look. You know, and then that gets to this idea of should Eels and Bocanegra be looking for a coach with MLS experience? Um, you know, if you ask me my opinion about it, I would say, look, 
Uh, obviously, Seattle's done phenomenally well. We had our podcast with my cousin, and he gloated about how great <laughs> Seattle is. Um, and they're, you know, a club for us to look up to in terms of the, the way they've done. But whenever you get an assistant coach, you don't know. Yeah. Right? Because obviously it means that he will understand the MLS, and you probably won't have the shenanigans that we had with Heinze. So, you know, that's great. On the other hand, who he's going to be, you could never really tell, Right. Um, sometimes, you know, the club is great because of an assistant. Sometimes the assistant has no clue, right? It's impossible to tell. And one of the things that you'd be a little scared of coming off two unsuccessful hires, you would think that the whole point of going to the MLS would be to get a sure thing. And so you'd think if we were going to the MLS, we would go to an MLS coach who has head coaching experience and a track record. Yeah. I agree. I think I still think it, and I'm surprised Atlanta wouldn't go after a coach that has a proven resume, no matter yeah. how good this guy might be, you know, how well he's liked, how, you know, he has obviously helped a team from an assistant standpoint do a lot. I don't know that he could actually do it as a head coach. So it's like, why not just, you know, bully our friends from Orlando and take Pareja, who's clearly a good coach. And be like, <laughs> you know, you finally beat us once or twice. We'll take your coach. Yeah. So Alan Kolhep, who is 20 minutes behind on our live stream here, is now now live with us. He he disagrees with you, by the way, with the uh, the U.S. men or U.S. women's penalty kick given. Um, I think that if I'm re- reading that correctly. Okay. Um, so I don't know. I don't know What's what he's saying. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It says uh, she kicked her. Leg hard enough to bring her down. Um, penalty, sorry. I, I don't disagree with you, Alan. Actually, I think I wasn't saying that um, it shouldn't have been a penalty kick. In fact, I think I was saying that I, I thought it was a penalty kick. I just think that it is shambolic that it's set up that way, that that kind of decision, which really takes the, the game out of the player's hands and hand somebody a huge advantage. That's not what the rules are for. The rules are designed to keep the game fair. You know, for years and years and years, and now this is pre-VAR, right? Like, the the greatest referee in the world for years was Pierluigi Kalina. And I don't know how many times that guy saw a guy fouled just inside the box, but it wasn't a great goal-scoring chance. It should have been a penalty kick, and he was like, free kick outside the box. Because yeah. he was using the rules to keep the game fair as opposed to just adjudicating the rules. Now, obviously, in the VAR era, you know, maybe. But if I were the referee in that instance... I would have said free kick outside the box. And people would have said it was in the box. And I'd be like, eh, look to me outside the box. Yeah. And nobody on Canada or the U.S. would have really complained about it because it, they didn't deserve a goal. Yeah. Well, uh, Jason Russell also is on your side there. So that's uh, that's confirmation. Um, now, if if we move to another coach, who, who would you want us to uh, interview as part of this? And it's interesting too, right? Like we're getting a little more insight than we did in the previous, uh, you know, glass era of who we're going after. It was uh, all rumor mill. Whereas it seems like the front office is at least letting their ambitions be known. Yeah. We at least have some names being, you know, bandied about, um, you know, and it, what that gets to in the last search is that during that entire time where we had Stephen Glass, um, you know, they weren't really looking, which is pretty disappointing, 
Yeah. Right. Um, they were perfectly, you know, satisfied to sit with Stephen Glass for you know a year and allow the team to just play terribly. Yeah. Which is a little bit, as a fan, it's a little unsatisfying. Um, now they're obviously looking, but it's a terrible time to be looking, right? Um, I think it would also suggest that, you know, when we were talking on the podcast um, previously, you know, have they been looking right from the moment they knew that a protest had been lodged by the players and they had all these things lined up? I think the answer to that is no. You know, they seem to be scrambling about a little bit. And so, you know, when you're going to fire the coach... Um, you probably should have an idea of who the next guy's going to be. Um, it seemed like they were maybe a little overconfident in their ability to get Fonseca then from, maybe. from what I'm hearing. It sounds but do like you think Fonseca was already lined up before that? Or they just he came to the top of the list very early? Uh, I think he came to the list very early and maybe even in some of the previous um cycles there's a possibility maybe they had had conversations with him like before we hired Heinze maybe he was in that mix of conversations and mm-hmm. had a phone call and was interested the timing wasn't right like, I don't know it's all speculation but I would have hoped that they would have had somebody like that that they thought they could move quickly with and it seems like Fonseca was that guy and he apparently was very deep in the search for example at Tottenham right, right. he was their their top choice at Tottenham um I don't know whether he turned it down at Tottenham or, um, you know. Or Sounds what. like he turned it down. Maybe. I heard. Yeah, um, you wonder what he's looking for if, if he didn't want the Tottenham job, he didn't want the Atlanta United job. So, um, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, hey, why don't we just stick with uh, Rob Valentino? And uh, what do you say to that after two losses, even if we're playing slightly better? Well, you know, um, I thought – uh, to be honest, I thought the team has looked better. They continue to look better, but um, I think there's a lot of things that suggest that he's over his head. Um, like his substitutions? Well, um, you know, it's actually interesting. His substitution, so, you know, he, he made some changes which I thought were pretty good, right? So um, he went with Ronald Hernandez back to his natural position um, at right back, right? And, and you're and you're referring to the latest Orlando game, correct? Against Orlando, and I think that's is that that's the only game we haven't discussed. Is that's that right. true? That's it. We're only one game behind. Oh my goodness, podcast, li- dear podcast listeners, ATL on fire is really on fire. <laughs> um, but in any case, yeah, go ahead. No, I, yeah, uh, Russell doesn't uh, know who in the hell would ever want the Spurs job anyway, and I, I agree with him. I'm with you. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> as as I uh, um, I went to see Arsenal versus Newcastle with Al Marone, you know, and um, you know, for a large part of the game, they were singing about you know Arsenal fans, which Jason Russell is. Um, we're singing about how Tottenham will always be shite. <laughs> you know? So so that tells you something. There's also, I don't know what, you know, Roger Bennett, we love, you know, uh, we're a huge fan of his here on the podcast, um, Men in Blazers. And, uh, Great show. And he has this thing, it's so spursy. You know, <laughs> when you, you know, when you're two seconds from winning the title and you score an own goal, it's so spursy. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um 
<laughs> but anyway, um, you know, he did something interesting, Rob Valentino, is uh, he played Mikey Ambrose, and then he went with Ronald Hernandez at his natural position at right back, and that allowed Brooks Lennon to move up on the right side. You know, obviously very early in the game, that's rewarded because we finally have a flowing move, which, God, when's the last time you saw Atlanta United have a flowing move? Um, and uh, Brooks Lennon serves a beautiful ball, and oh my goodness, Martinez... What a finish that was. Yeah. Um, 48 seconds or something into the game. So, you know, but it was really interesting that he went with Ambrose, um, you know, who might not be on our strongest 11. Jesse Martinez, by the way, to finish that. Yeah, that's what I said. I think you said Hernandez. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh, well, who knows? Maybe the... Or, I don't know. Maybe, maybe our, our Maybe I got that wrong. Will... I was pouring wine. <laughs> I thought you got the name mixed up there. It's yeah. possible. I'm terrible <laughs> with names. I mix up. I don't even remember my own name sometimes. But anyway, um, so, you know, he clearly uh, put in Ambrose, who is probably not amongst our top 11, in order to get some people in a natural position. Now... I think you're being kind saying shouldn't be in our top 11. I don't know that he should be on the <laughs> roster. Well, you know, the interesting thing is that um, Orlando has a super pacey right midfielder, and I'm forgetting his name right now. But, oh, my God, you know, right at the beginning, three times in a row, he runs right Tor- by. getting torched. Yeah, he's getting torched right now. In my opinion, right, that's not actually on Ambrose, right? As you're the outside back, you know, your job is to get up and fight with the, the, the guy who's out there, which there was a guy, and it's Walks's job to cover in behind when the ball's played in behind you. Walks is over there in the middle, like, looking at the sky, daydreaming, and then he's like, oh, I'm supposed to get over there, right? And then he's coming over super late. I mean, um, the goal that they scored late in the game, so... Well, I'm getting so ahead of myself. You're getting way ahead of it. I love it, though. Keep going. Well, what we're, I was... So I want to... Orlando game. Now. Let's get back to that goal later. But what I would say is that Rob Valentino, the first sub that he makes is at halftime, he brings off Ambrose right. to Had try to... to Had to. Because he's getting destroyed. Um, and so there you'd say, look, you know, he recognized it. He changed it or whatever. Well, I would have hoped he would have recognized it. That doesn't take... A professional coach to realize Mikey Ambrose needs to get taken. We had this discussion. There was a moment where the same thing was happened under the DeBoer era, and he never made a change. The guy was, I can't remember who it was, who was just getting torched. Yeah. Um, Anyway, but the, um, you know, the interesting thing is it all went to hell from from a coaching standpoint because he makes the change. He moves Brooks Lennon back to right back, where he obviously is a natural, and then he gets hurt. Yeah. Right. So then you're like, oh, you know, who's going to whatever. And then then he has to make a series. Is that, was that a serious injury to Lennon or is it just a little Nick, you think? My impression that it was at a Nick, but, you know, you know, Atlanta United, you do you have the injury report like, to pull up? Did uh, they, have they said anything? Not. But it looked like it was like, a, like uh, you know, kind of a groin upper upper leg kind of injury, like a little bit of a muscle tweak yeah. from the way he was holding. Yeah, it didn't look that side. serious to me, but, you know. God only knows with Atlanta United. So let's let's run through the entire Orlando game because um, yeah, there. I mean, first off, um, you know what what a tough pill to to swallow to lose that game, even though I felt Orlando was all in all probably the better side with better chances throughout that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a game once we had the lead. I also think Valentino should have fortified the team to win. 
on the road and done a better job. Of, well, was his hands tied at that point? So he'd already made oh, the oh, subs. Hands with, tied to with put Campbell? on Kubo Torres. Well. Your hands are never tied <laughs> to put on fucking Kubo Torres. And oh. I got to drop the F bomb on this since we are explicit here. You know, it's interesting. When they brought on Kubo Torres, I said the same thing. Oh, God, effing Kubo Torres. But then I started thinking about it. I'm like, okay, you know, your choice is Kubo Torres or Conway, right? You got the lead, right? And Kubo Torres can't score. But, you know, maybe he's a little bit better at holding up the ball. Maybe. Maybe. No, he's not. <laughs> I, he's, he's not. And, and plus, in the Orlando game, you're talking about Joseph Martinez, who... First off, scored in the first 43 minutes and then didn't do a whole lot, really. I mean, didn't wasn't mm-hmm. a standout in the mm-hmm. game after that, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, did some nice things, but nothing jumped off the page. Um, I would have at least given him that last 10 minutes to have another moment of magic against a team that he's a prolific goal scorer against and to have it at least give him a chance to troll them again. I mean, what versus bringing on Kubo Torres, who has done nothing and continues to do nothing. Well, the obvious move... And and Joseph didn't want to come off either. The obvious move would have been, you know, why in the world bring on another forward to begin with? Why not bring in Sadek? Agreed. That's right, why I'm saying, why not Ford? As another midfielder. You should have done earlier and for, oh. taken... If you're going to take Joseph off, take him off earlier mm-hmm. and fortify that 66-minute goal that Moreno had, which was, like you said, unbelievable. Um, I couldn't figure it out, but why? But, you know, even in our moments where we're doing well and we had, you know, players going forward or whatever, the balance wasn't quite right because, you know, as soon as Orlando would win the ball, they would stream back, you know, against us. And we were at no level able to, to you know, keep them in their end or to win the possession battle. Um and you're kind of like, why? Why not? With all of the, you know, attacking the moments that we had, why couldn't we keep them in their end for a while? Why couldn't we? It seemed like it was just so wide open. Yeah. Uh, and when we score a second goal on the road, you don't expect it to be wide open. So I can bring up the second goal on the the screen here, if we want, or the first goal actually, which was frankly it was coming like. It, Whoever was going to score. The first goal we gave up. The first goal we gave up, the end of the first half. That goal was absolutely coming no matter what, I think. Um, It's just a matter of who. We had given up a number of chances, and Alec Khan, oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, he. Alec Khan, sorry. He did as much as he could to keep us (laughs) in the game that first half. What an unbelievable couple of saves he had, right, to keep us in the game. So I agree with you. Their goal was coming. But the goal they actually scored was off a corner kick, right? Correct. And somebody snuck kind of underneath Lennon and headed it in. I I went back and watched it a bunch. And I, I don't know. I guess I could bring it up, but people can go back to the replay. Go back and watch it. Um, Sure, Lennon may have been able to get a little closer and do more as the guy kind of snuck, you know, got down low and headed. But if you watch it, Anton walks, leaves that space, goes and charges a man in front where there's already people marking those men. The ball goes three feet over his head, and he literally is ducking. I, I Here, I'm bringing this up. <laughs> well, I'll say, actually, you know, um, the goal we gave up after that, right, Um was similar in that um, we get beat. Uh, well, here it, is. Yeah, here it is. Look at this. So, uh, and ATL on fire first. Look at that. So, Walks 
is right here. Yep. And watch him attack the ball. He, he attacks the ball here and leaves the space right where the ball comes. And, yeah, Lennon tries to get there late. But he was not He was just trying to get to a man that – and he wasn't attacking the ball. I well, mean, just flying about, right? You know, yeah. if, you're, if you're a quality center back of his size, you need to, you know, be first thinking about the man, right? But you watch the fly to the ball – see where it is, judge it, and then go get it, right? Be yeah. aggressive, right? And he's just so naive, like, oh, I'm, you know, going here to the to the guy instead of, you know, your job is to start on the guy, but then anything in your area, you got to take a deep breath, judge the flight of the ball, and get there, right? Um, and I would say the second goal, right? So in the second goal, they get behind us on, on, the, on the far side again, Um but walks is so late coming over, and then it was like a com- you know Keystone cops right. So so walks never reads it, never comes over right. Then he finally comes over where he has no chance because he's already ready to cross it. So then he just takes himself out of marking someone in the middle. They cross it past him, and then the two guys watching walks go over there panic. They go mark you know the guy he left, and they leave their guys wide open. It's like everybody is like panicking and, and flying around trying to make up for someone else's I, tactical error. I don't know. The second goal to me might be the most forgivable. I don't know. The, the second one is actually a pretty nice goal. I went back and looked at it. Walks, again, is involved in it. He's on the right side kind of coming out of the back. The ball is collected in, in midfield. A guy beats his man and kind of plays a nice chip over the top. Oh, I might be talking about the third. Goal. Yeah, so this is the this oh, is the yeah, second right. the goal. The second goal was the chip to the far the, the side. The chip okay. which is a guy yeah. that's kind of on the on the right side of walks. Real- and on that one Campbell just gets beat in the air, right? Uh is that Campbell he, or Walks? It's Campbell. Okay, so it's Campbell out there on the right. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I still felt like the it, A it was a really nice chip. Yeah, that's the guy, a pretty the guy good goal. one time heads it across yeah, the field. Uh, Hernandez was there in the area, but just didn't get there. For, it was a great goal. You know, as a fan, you can analyze that to death, and you can say, "Look, uh, oh, we shouldn't have, shouldn't have." You know, and that's the kind of thing yeah. that DeBoer would do. It analyze that to death. But I think at the end of the day, the way you avoid a goal like that is you have to have more possession and not give them the ball. Yeah, right. Not have the ball in your own end. You know. Because um, every once in a while, somebody's going to score a great goal, and you just tip your hat. Yeah, and I, 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 thought, I agree with you. I thought the third goal was a good goal as well by Orlando. But if anything, I felt like the pressure that we put on whoever was marking the guy who crossed it actually could. And it was Ronald Hernandez, in fact, because I went back and watched it. Well, Ronald Hernandez gets beat. He's on the outside. He gets beat, right? I think no, he doesn't get. He doesn't get beat. He actually. You have the clip. Yeah, I got the clip. We'll go to. Let's it. do it right because I think this is this is key, right? Um, we certainly get beat on the outside, but I felt on the play the thing that has got to happen is Walks has to read the danger behind the left back, right? And uh, and make the play. Yeah. So here we go. All right. Let's see. The ball gets. Um, Cycled out wide here. Mm-hmm. Just, just a pass outside. Ronald Hernandez comes, just gives him a way too much room. He just crosses it in. Oh. I mean. What am I thinking of, though? Was it the f- so first goal? No, the, the, first, the first goal was a corner. The, I'm making things first, up to your podcast listener. The, oh, you know what it was? 
I was thinking about the one where um, Alec Khan Alec Khan makes a phenomenal save. That's the one. Sorry. Yeah, so he makes a phenomenal save. That's the one I'm talking about where Ambrose gets beat. I think it's in the first half. And um, Walks is super late coming across. And when he comes across, he has no bit. He's never going to get there. Then the two guys in the middle are like, ah, oh, you left this guy. They both run and close the same guy because at that point it's panic time just yeah. trying to get to the guy. And they leave their guy open, right? And you're like, everybody is overreacting to everything. And it's because nobody ever read the game to begin with, right? It's, it's unbelievable to watch. But yeah, listen, this is the second goal, which I thought was their best. And there's not yeah. much we could have done. Yeah, it's a terrific yeah, goal. There, there it was. Hold on. Yeah, that's a terrific goal. There's, there's Moreno's cracker. I mean, that is a phenomenal strike. He hit that rather well. Um, but, yeah, here's the dink, you know. Headed back across. Headed back. Head, I mean, yeah, I mean. Some. Yeah, and Sosa gets beat, you know, on the third goal um, by Nani. But, you know. Again, though, I felt like if anybody was to do anything, it was Ronald Hernandez out wide. Yeah. That just gave him a little much well, time. And so he go back he to the third goal, right? So, a great cross. so why is Ronald Hernandez not closing it down? Is he? So this is my pet peeve, and this is what I was talking about with the women's soccer team, right? So many of the coaches are coaching right the here. outside back, right? So see where he's coming from? Right, He's coming from all the way in the middle. Why? Why is he in there? The guy's all the way out wide, his, the guy who he's supposed to be marking, right? And he has so far to get there. And you're like, why is he, is he helping anybody in the middle? So many of the coaches are coaching this. It's better to close down the space, right? So when, when Hernandez, this is what I was talking about, the women's team. When Hernandez comes in the middle, right, you would think that, I think the coaches are thinking, all right, well, he can, you know, be a second guy. If somebody gets beat, he steps in and wins the ball, Right. But most often when the, when the outside back comes in and crowds the center back, it just happens that nobody knows who's responsible for making the play and nobody makes the play, right? You've already got a numerical advantage, right, with a 2v1, you know, with the center backs, right? So why is he all the way in there, right? And why do you concede that ball out wide? You know, once upon a time in soccer... You know, people couldn't whip the ball in the way it is. The ball were heavier, blah, 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 blah. And that was not as dangerous a play. Like, once upon a time, soccer, you want to funnel everybody out wide. That's no longer true. A wide-open guy who's servicing like that can whip the ball in. And if if you whip in a good ball, I mean, Beckham was the first one to really... Whoa. Oh, is that Siri? Siri, my watch. Calm down, Siri. Uh, <laughs> it... <laughs> That's the definition of a rat when you activate Siri. But, um, you know, Beckham was the, was the ultimate purveyor of this, right? He just would whip the balls in. And, and, you know, it's not when somebody hits a good ball like that last ball that Nani finished, as a center back, there's almost nothing you yeah. can do about it. And that's, and that's why I kept, I kept going back to both those goals. And particularly the second one, not much we could do except – Maybe what you're saying is not is have more possession and not give them an opportunity to have it high up in our midfield and play a beautiful chip over the top, great one time header, great first touch into the goal. I mean, it was not much you could do in that one. That one right there was just particularly at the end of a game. It was representative of even Hernandez not having enough grit to realize like 
Don't give that guy a, a second of space. Like get in, get up in his face a little bit. And he clearly, it was just a little too lackadaisical at the end of a game where at that point we were winning. Uh, or was it, yeah, that, that was 2-2 two, two at that two. But I don't actually think it's lackadaisical. I think he's being coached. I mean, he was all the way in for a reason, right? He was there, right, trying to come in to help. And I'm like, why? Why do we need Ronald Hernandez babysitting walks or um, Alan Franco, right? I mean, to me, if there's a guy out wide, go out and at least be close enough where they play it out there. We can match up. The reason he doesn't get there, I don't think it's because he's lackadaisical, is because he has so far to come. Right on that play, he's starting on that play when you showed the third yeah. goal clip. He's starting right next to the center box, and he has a good 30 yards to get out there to close it down. You're never going to close that down. All right. So why give someone the opportunity to whip in across like that when you do that enough times, you know, somebody going to get on the end of it? Uh, you know, the last thing I'll say about that game again, you know, Moreno – Class of the field again for the third straight game. Oh, he was just terrific. Uh, and and finally, not only in that game, you know, the previous game, he missed some sitters. Played fabulously and missed some sitters. Yep. In that game, it was nice to see that he said, hey, people, check this out, upper yeah. 90. So it seems like his game is rounding out. Um, now the question is, is can we have people compliment him? We've got Barco coming back. Um, there was a signing today, supposedly from a, a Brazilian player from Gremio, which I think is the same club Joseto came from. If I'm not mistaken, I might be wrong there. Um, it sounds like another big Portuguese, uh, target that we had, which I think we were going to, uh, put an, we had an offer down of close Porta. to Porta of something close to 20 million. Yeah. Um, so it would have been the biggest transfer fee Atlanta United. I heard 17, 18, but, but, but yeah. But, but obviously that was tied to Fonseca likely in terms of either Fonseca coming and or the player coming one or the other. And um, the, the package fell through. Um, Almada is still uh, out there sounding like we uh, are just now agreeing on the terms with the player on like his salary. It sounds like the terms of the club have been finalized. Mm-hmm. But from what I'm also hearing as of today and kind of this week is that there might not be room for him on the roster, particularly with signing this Brazilian, and that it might be a t- 2022 play with Almeida. I don't know. What do, you th- what do you think of that, if that's true? Well, that doesn't make any sense to me because so supposedly the Brazilian, uh, the Portuguese guys coming from Grêmio um, is more of a winger. If you look at our team, Right, what we need is another striker, right behind Martinez. Right, we don't need a, another winger. Right, we've already got a Jurgen Dom as a great backup winger. Um, the one thing I would say is that all of this interest, all of these attacking players, it 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 says to me almost that they have to be ready to unload Barco. Uh, he's not long for the club based on all these well, rumors. We got two days if it's this window, right? No, because. Uh, so the, the MLS window closes, so you can't buy any more players, but you can still sell as long as the window in Europe is open. Okay. And the, the window in Europe is open for another month and a half. Okay. Right? So, you know, it, the, the European window goes a good month into the season. There's still 
a couple of weeks before the but first you wouldn't game. want to risk bringing people into our roster if, if we don't know that we can't unload Barco. That's well, if you've already got an offer or whatever, I think. In this world, I don't know that I'd be playing that game of roulette. Well, you know, in MLS, it's sometimes hard. You have to do that because of the nature of the window, because because the MLS window doesn't coincide with the European window, um, it closes way before. And this is actually something on the broadcast um, that um, was, I think it was Taylor Twellerman was, was talking about, that if you want to make MLS a better league, one thing that could easily make a huge difference is simply to make the window a little bit more corresponding to the European window. Yeah. For that reason. Well, I mean, one of the things that's been fun with this season being so emotional is that there's been plenty to talk about off the field or not related to the actual play in the field, I guess is what I'm saying. And so it, it, it seems like um, that emotional roller coaster is, uh, is continuing with not knowing who our coach is, not knowing the future of a Barco, not knowing how some of these big signings um, – are going to pan out. But is it an interesting or is it a soap opera? It's a soap opera. <laughs> and and but that's not good then, right? Oh, it's not been good. And that's why I feel, um, and I posted this on our Twitter account, like I, I almost feel a lot of optimism right now because I, I feel like we have to be pretty close to rock bottom, Dave. Like, I mean, as a club with our ambitions, I mean, things are not going well. We haven't won in forever. So to me, to just kind of absorb and enjoy the soap opera, yeah, that's where I am. I think player-wise, the team has got a lot of talent. And, yeah. and um, especially if we add a couple of players, I think we're nowhere near rock bottom. But um, the thing that strikes me is so crazy is you've got all these players, all this talent, and I think they've done a really nice job of reloading the talent in the team. But since we still don't know who the coach is, it makes all the difference, right? Yeah. Uh you know, whether or not DeBoer truly had enough talent, I don't know. But he certainly had enough talent to do better than he did. Um, and, you know, I would argue Heinz uh, the same, right? Um, well, what I mean rock bottom is in, look, rock bottom, not based on talent, but based on results and everything surrounding bad results right now. Like, I mean... You know, if we lose two more games in a row, the season's uh, one more game, really, like in our conference, right? Like this sucker's over, right? No, the MLS playoff line is so forgiving. That Dude, we only have like 14 points. Yeah, but the playoff line is like I know, but we two wins above us. If, and we, still if we were to lose another game, if we were to left. lose another game right now, like how can you really? Because we're not even halfway, are we? Yeah, we're halfway. About halfway. But so, I think we're right at halfway now. So there's still a lot of games left. So, you know, we're one good coach away from, from you know, finishing yeah, but it, third in the league. The coaches, I mean, it's got to get settled. Um, sure. we got new players coming in, There's and there's going to be excuses around that. And then we're, you know, three-fourths of the way through the season. But I, if I were coming in as coach in the next week or two, I'd be salivating, right? you got... Uh, Martinez coming back. You got Bello coming back. You got Guzan coming back, right? Miles, yeah. Um, that. Uh, so yeah, did I say Martinez again? I think so. I don't know. Shh, unbelievable. It, it happens to us. <laughs> Robinson. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, you got to figure that a decent coach will find a way to make a solid back line out of Miles Robinson, Alan Franco, Ronald Hernandez. 
um, Bello and Lennon. I mean, yeah. And I feel like, you know, while I was just harking on, uh, on, uh, what did I say? Uh, Hernandez for not putting a little pressure and you're saying that's maybe coaching. I'm saying that's a little common sense. Don't let a guy whipping across. Don't give him, don't give him 10 feet to whip in across. But I did, will say between Franco and Hernandez, it seems like they're settling in a little as well mm-hmm. with, with some more games. So bring back Bello and miles. Uh, I'm optimistic. I think there has to be a reason, you know, either he's asking him to come in or at minimum, he's not telling him not to come in because it's doing it over and over. Um, you know, every time we lose the ball, he's coming in close to the center backs. And you're like, why? Be brave, people, right? You you have two center backs. You have a defensive midfielder, right? So even if they push a second guy, you know, you always want to be a man up in the center of defense. But even if they push a second guy out of the midfield, right, and so they have two guys up or maybe they're playing two strikers, right, you have a defensive midfielder to help cover, Right, so you got Sosa, Franco, and you know presumably Robinson or Walks in this past game, and if they can't handle that, we got a problem. You're yeah. never going to win games if you're not if you can't handle up the middle three v two. You're not going to win games, and so if you have three v two, and you're not getting it, you know, you know, and you're getting it done or whatever, why not have the outside guys match up and and you know. Step out wide. Now, that doesn't mean that when the ball is on the other side of the field that you're not pinching in a little bit to, you know, the weak side to help out a little bit. But as soon as the ball goes to the middle or it looks like they might cross it, you have to be close enough where they play the 50-yard ball over the top. You should be, you know, nobody should be able to have a 50-yard ball go over the top, settle it, and be comfortable, right? You should have a guy right breathing down your neck and, like, yeah, go make a touch and give it to me, and I'm off and running. Yeah. So anything else you want to talk about in terms of signings that I missed, uh, rumors of signings, gaps that we need to sign for? I mean, um, you know, it's funny because uh, are there gaps? Um, you know, to be honest with you, you would say the gap is um, more of a complementary box-to-box midfielder, right? Um the Heinemann role. Isn't um, that what we got Sadiq or whatever his name is? I think that's what's supposed to be, but is is he good enough? No. Obviously, Valentino didn't think so enough to, to, to play him at all. He didn't start him. He didn't bring him off the bench. Yeah. Um, but I have to agree with you that, look, if he was signed to be that player, and in my opinion, in that moment, even if he's not a starter, and I can understand why he wasn't necessarily a starter, he's got to come on. Right, to help yeah. solidify the middle of the field. Um, da, 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 man, there's a lot of unanswered questions for this club right now, Dave. I know you're optimistic of a coach coming in and, and salivating, but is it going to happen in time? I just, I, I don't know. I don't, there's certainly, I think, time enough. The, the coach is going to come in with all the rumors. It seems like the coach is coming soon. And if the coach is coming soon, there's plenty enough time. It's just a question of, is the coach good enough? And um, Jason Russell wanted to ask us how we feel about the, the front office and the job they're doing throughout all of this. What, like what's, what's your grade on them right now? You know, with Now that they've given us transparency that they took a swing and missed at Paula Fonseca and 
they're considering a Seattle Sounders assistant coach as the next option in the in the line. Is that good enough? I have to say, um, you know, it's funny. Early on, they got the coach right. I mean, Tata Martino was clearly a, a class higher. And then he got a lot of the players right. Um, and you felt like the players, once Tata, you know, once you got beyond the Martinez and Almiron that he brought in and, and Parkhurst, who he demanded, and Lorenowitz, who he demanded, right? Um you're like, what did the front office do? They had a chance to make all those moves as soon as they won the title and they were living it up and, you know, high flying. And um, to be honest, they made a series of pretty questionable moves, right? Um, allowing Gressel to go was a disaster. Um, you know, some of the players they brought in, we, we you know, have since come and gone were, were not great. Um, so you would say early on they got the coach right, they got the player managed the players wrong, and the only good players that we hired were basically the ones that Tata handpicked. Now that being said, I think that they realized in the DeBoer era that we needed better players. They've moved a number of those players on. They're no longer here. And I have felt like the players they've replaced them with yeah. are pretty class, right? I mean, Sosa's class. Franco's, Moreno's Franco class. Franco seems to be starting to live up to his billing. Franco, not, not maybe. There, not there yeah. yet, but heading that direction. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the leftovers of the previous thing, Joseto, maybe not. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Ibarra got injured. Kubo Torres, obviously, not. no. Yeah, I, Jürgen Dom still, you know... For the money we're paying him. Jurgen Dom's a question mark because there, there are moments when he's healthy and when he's on, he's looked pretty terrific. But nobody's, you know, nobody seems to be sold on him, you know. Um, I think he's looked good. I don't know that he's looked terrific. Well, he's not a two-way player. He doesn't really play defense, per se. So that's that's a problem. And um, But also... I think he's looked good. I agree with you. Um, but nobody's been sold enough on him to be like, you're the guy. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think the jury's still out on a Jurgen Dom. Um, but Moreno, Sosa certainly look class. Yeah. And these are the newer guys that they got in. Um, you know, obviously Bello they promoted, so that doesn't really count. But um, Ronald Hernandez... Looks like he could be a real player. Certainly has talent. Yeah. Um, even the one guy who they've kept around from the era where we were just buying big and strong and fast, Lennon, um, I think is a good player. Yeah. Is he a great player? Maybe not. But he's a good player. He delivers a great ball. And when he's not asked to, to necessarily be the defender, if he's a winger, he might be terrific. Um, now, obviously, the other guy... Yeah, and in that Mal Rainey is a big question mark. Yeah, and in that Orlando game, they had at the at the start they had Lennon up high, uh, right, and then when uh, some who was it that got injured? Or was it when he got injured? Some, well, so first they made the move, right? They brought off Mikey Ambrose, and that had to rotate. That's him right. Back. So I knew something changed yeah. him from being because he was being quite effective. Yeah, in that kind oh, of yeah. kind of higher up the field. Where Credit you, where, to Valentino for saying, "Look, let's put Ronald Hernandez behind him. Let's move Lennon up the field," and that right. looked great. That did look great. Yeah, and, and that's and because Ambrose was getting torched, we had to change our tactics, which we had to. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think after that, we um, we lost that advantage on that right side, which was a I agree. It was a, 
a big change. I agree. But gained the advantage on the left side, kind of. I don't know. We still were. We Maybe. Still I mean, under, it, under it totally backfired because he once he made the move, Lennon getting hurt really backfired. You know, yeah. but you can't as a coach. Nobody can can fault the coach for that. Like he, you know, it can't be expected to know that Lennon's going to get hurt. Yeah. So I'm at the end of my sheet. You got anything else you want to talk about? Talked about it all, people. We talked about it all. We uh, played with the idea of having a live chat. We'll see. Uh, Thank you to Alan Colehap. Thank you to Jason Russell for being part of the live first broadcast. Very late, impromptu notice. Those of us, those of you out there who follow the podcast on Twitter, um, look forward to our future podcasts where you can chime in and uh, ask live questions. Absolutely. And if you're not subscribed, subscribe to the channel. Thanks, everybody, for listening. So long. Ciao.